right, so welcome back to the second half of the uh, Water Zone, and we're going to bring on our featured guest. But first, I want to turn it over to Miss Amy Bistoner, and I'm going to let her conduct the rest of the uh, the show for us. And she's the, our ag expert, and uh, I just love working with Ingi. She is just one of the smartest people I know, and uh, when I go up someday, I want to be just like her. So, Ingi, it's all yours. <laughs> oh, my goodness, uh, Rob. Well, I love working with you, too, and... Um, you know, I think we make quite a team. You know, we, we do the urban thing, we do the ag thing, and I am so pleased to have, um, you know, just a spectacular guest on this evening. Uh, Secretary Karen Ross has agreed to join us uh, from CDFA. Welcome to the show, uh, Secretary Ross. Thank you, Inge. That was quite an introduction you got there, and well-deserved, <laughs> I might add. <laughs> oh, you're very, very sweet. Well, it's a delight to have you, and I really appreciate you phoning in this evening on a day when you're probably exhausted from um, participation in the California Climate Action Day, the Governor's uh, Day up in Sacramento, which um, I listened in on your presentation, and we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later in, in the show. Uh, so you're doing double duty, so thank you for um, burning the midnight oil and, and calling in to the Water Zone Ag Podcast. Always a pleasure. It's been a few years since you and I talked like this. Yes, we, um, we, we, you know, you were a guest, I think, about three years ago. We talked about all sorts of things, and um, mm-hmm. boy, things have changed since then. Things have changed since <laughs> last week. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, let's talk about 2020 and change, right? <laughs> just from the beginning of the year, it just gets wilder every day. So, mm-hmm. hey, just for our listening yeah. audience, um, Secretary Ross, let me introduce you. Um, let folks know what you do, and then we'll dive right into the interview. There's lots to talk about. Sounds uh, great. So, Secretary Karen Ross, she is the Secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture, and you have been appointed to that post by Governor Jerry Brown back in January of 2011 and um, got reappointed by Governor Newsom. I, you did such a great job. He didn't want to let you go, I, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you you, uh, you had previously served as Chief of Staff to U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, a position you accepted in 2009. And then from uh, before that, from 1996 to 2009, you were president of the California Association of Wine Grape Growers. Uh, you hail from uh, Nebraska, University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and the Nebraska Ag Leadership Program. And, you know, I could go on and on and on, but I really want to dive into our topic. So thanks thanks for joining us this evening. And before we get started, you know, tell us how you got involved in working in agriculture and in particular uh, in government. What, what, tell us just a tidbit about your background. It certainly is not something I ever even knew existed or could visualize when I was growing up on our farm in western Nebraska. We're less than 20 miles from the Wyoming border. So it's big sky country. It's dry land farming. Um, my brother farmed um, um, pretty extensive acreage there for a lot of landlords who happened to be relatives like me. Uh, my husband and I acquired part of the family farm um, almost 20 years ago. Um, so it's it's um, he does um, dry land feed grains, wheat. He does cover cropping and rotational grazing as cattle. Um, and he's just, he's just a great, he's a great person. And he's by reality check every Sunday. <laughs> um, oh. But, you know, growing up, 
I, I didn't feel I didn't feel the calling to be on the farm as part of actively farming. Um, and in fact, I thought that last thing I wanted to do was anything to do with agriculture. But my first couple of jobs, I became politically active and fell in love with the policy arena. And it was once I was away from the farm, I knew how much I loved it for the values that it's given me and for the people that we're so lucky to have doing the hard work of farming. So my whole career has been around agricultural policy and being an advocate for our farming community and trying to have more people appreciate that and enjoy the fruits and the vegetables of our labor. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, we're, we're so lucky to have someone like you who came from the ground up and yet got educated and got inspired uh, to, uh, you know, help us in our government and, you know, have such important leadership positions. Um, it's just a win-win for everybody to have that background and have the position that you have today. Um, so maybe share with us a little bit mm-hmm. more about what the California Department of Food and Agriculture does and who it represents sure. and what its mission is. Yeah. What, what, what's your role in leading yeah. that? Sure. So I like to say the Department of Food and Agriculture represents all Californians because you may not think you're part of agriculture, but if you have the joy of, of eating um, California-grown food, then you're part of agriculture. But Truly, um, our mission is about um, promoting and protecting a safe, healthy food supply, enhancing local and global agricultural trade. Um, We are about innovation and sound science. We've got labs and our plant health protection programs, invasive species programs, animal disease prevention programs, our food safety programs. All of those programs are based on science, and our labs are really about the, the most modern um, technologies and equipment possible. And we have, through doing all of this, a strong commitment to environmental stewardship, and that's where a lot of our new work has happened in the last decade. Um, we work across all agencies. Um, with Governor Newsom, it's an all-of-government approach. Get out of the silos. Um, work with colleagues across the agencies with the nonprofit community, with our stakeholders in farming and ranching. Um, and, and a big component of our constituents are children in schools. We have a new grant program for farm to schools um, to really bring more California-grown products into the schools and making sure that our children are well-nourished with good California-grown healthy food. Yeah, well, you make a good point. You know, you think of uh, California Department of Food and Agriculture, you think of farmers, you know, oh, hey, that's yeah. um, about promoting or uh, supporting and uh, just helping out with, with the farm uh, community. But it's really, like you said, it's all Californians because we all eat, and that's what agriculture is all about. It's producing our food. And so um, really glad to hear that it's um, helping us eat better, eat our own produce better probably, and, and the, you know, the children's and the school program yeah. um, is really hopefully targeted at the disadvantaged or um, the misinformed of <laughs> what, yeah. what we should be eating. Well, yeah, <laughs> all of the above. And clearly with Governor Newsom's leadership, equity is a really significant lens with which we do our work and making sure that those historically underserved communities um, can also know the joy of of eating, you know, a fresh peach in the summertime or a healthy 
healthy serving of broccoli in the wintertime. But so few people really know to truly appreciate California is the number one agricultural state. It has been since the United States Department of Agriculture has been measuring our farm gate value over $50 billion in 2019, despite all the international trade disruptions that were occurring, that we grow over 400 different crops. We're known for our specialty crops, of course, because we're a third of the vegetables and two-thirds of the tree nuts and fruits of this country. Um, But we're the number one dairy state. And cattle and calves are the fifth most valuable commodity that we have, um, along with horticulture and all that, those floral and nursery products. Um, and many people do not know, and this is where it's so easy to take it for granted because it is our backyard. And I heard just a little bit of the maven, how cool to be on the same program with the water maven, Chris, um, when she was talking about Imperial County. You know, in the wintertime, 90% of this country's vegetables and melons are coming from the Yuma Imperial region um, because we can grow those things every day of the year. We right. harvest practically every day of the year. That's an unbelievable food security that we have in our backyard, and that's what I wish more people could really know and appreciate as much as I do. You can tell I get pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, it would be a um, major inconvenience to the country if um, the Imperial Valley was completely fallowed and, and no longer yeah. produced, you know, 90% yeah. of the uh, exactly. stuff that are really important during that winter time. So ho- hopefully uh, we can find a solution there where we're you know, just being more efficient with our water and don't have to fallow the land. You know me, right. I'm, I'm always into yep. the, uh, both the technology and the technique, yep. you know, how we, how yep. we irrigate and with what. So yep. this That's thing, why we like water working zone, with you, Amy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, we, we like working together on this water thing. And it, this being the Water Zone Ag podcast um, mm-hmm. leads me to question you about the programs that you lead that have to do with water and agricultural water, such as the SWEET program, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the water component of Climate Smart Agriculture yeah. and Healthy Soils Initiative. Tell us how those um, programs are helping our farmers become better irrigators and better stewards of the land. Yeah. So, um, you know, these programs came about because of our climate policy in California and the laws that we have passed that chose to do a market mechanism called cap-and-trade as how we would go about trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and travel towards a carbon-neutral future. And it is the funds that are generated from the cap-and-trade auctions um, that go into the Climate Change Investment Program. And, And having a healthy, vibrant, sustainable agricultural sector is a very important element to our strategies and our security. And it was in the second year of that horrendous five-year drought that you and I got to know each other in um, that we established the statewide water efficiency and enhancement program. And we based that on a lot of the climate-smart agricultural building blocks that were developed with research and good quantification methodologies at USDA, um, where we could um, provide incentive grants to farmers to improve the efficiency of their of their irrigation system. You know, it's easy to say, so probably a bunch of people just converted from flood to drip. Well, there was that. It was micro spray, spray systems. It was variable seed pumps. It was putting in solar, so they're using less energy, but 
but right-sizing it so they were also more efficiently um, applying the water at the right time and the right amount. Um, and it was the first time we asked farmers who were getting an incentive grant to help save water that we also wanted to quantify greenhouse gas emission reductions, which came from the improved energy efficiency. Wildly successful program, oversubscribed by over 300%. Um, and in the five, six years that we've had that program, um, we've gotten $87.5 million um, into the hands of farmers to improve their practices. Um, it's generated over $52 million in match funding, um, 835 projects, 137,000 acres, and a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions of 81,000 metric tons per year in equivalent CO2. That's the equivalent of removing 17,500 cars from the road every year. So wow. talk about a, a, a win-win. That's a win-win-win. <laughs> And that's just yeah. one of our programs. Yeah. 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 No, that, that one has been incredible. And people don't realize that a lot of our carbon generation comes from moving water around, right? Yes. Exactly from right. The state water project or the federal water mm-hmm. project or, or from mm-hmm. underground. So the yeah. less water we have to move to either irrigate or to, you know, um, sustain people or the environment, the better mm-hmm. for our yep. uh, climate. Yep. Exactly right. And then I have to touch on one of my other, like I love all my Climate Smart Ag programs, but one that's really captured a lot of attention is our Healthy Soils program, where it's really about building up that soil organic matter. You know, there's a ton of biodiversity in our soils. If we feed our soils, they'll continue feeding us. And when you really build up that carbon, sequester that carbon in the soils, you get better water penetration and you get water holding capacity so that it can become another mechanism of water storage and giving you resilience to droughts. And I, you know, we're doing a lot of work to, to better quantify that in very specific ways with all the different soils that we have in this state. But I think that's a huge, compelling reason to really look at healthy soils practices, whether it's compost or mulching or cover crops or all the other things that qualify for this, to really think about it's healthy soil, it helps our productivity, it builds our resilience, um, and it's water-holding capacity. Yeah, I mean, you could almost call it the carbon sequestration um, project in some ways. I mean, because that is what our soils do, unless they're tilled. And the the tilling often releases the carbon into the air and causes us, you know, problems. Whereas if you farm differently, I think like your brother does in mm-hmm. uh, on the family farm, right? He's no-till. Yep. Um, yep. Just some simple things that we could be doing differently can vastly help our, our uh, climate situation. Um, maybe even as, um, maybe the farm sectors is as important as the transportation sector. I mean, I've read that that yeah. is the highest contributor to carbon yep. in the state, yep. but I think agriculture could help offset that, really. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, one of the reasons natural working land strategy is included in our scoping plan now is because we recognize we cannot achieve our goals for carbon neutrality without really paying attention and partnering with natural working landscapes, our farmers and our ranchers. I know to my core 
that farmer-led solutions because they know the land, they work the land, they live on the land, they truly can be the leaders of solutions to climate change because of the vast capacity for carbon sequestration and other offsets and environmental services. I'm, you can tell I really like farmers, can't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> ranchers, yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> and, you've, and you've got some really great partners um, and colleagues in that. Uh, Glenda Humison on yep. um, the UC side, the Working Lands Initiative there. Um, I would say we're probably world-class in that, in that respect, both from research yep. and now from implementation. Yeah, and that's, you know, UC Ag and Natural Resources houses Cooperative Extension, which is a hugely important tool for technical assistance. And we found that we've really been able to increase um, the quality of the proposals we get and make sure that farmers, regardless of how large or small they are or what language is their first language, by providing technical assistance, we can help a lot more farmers participate in our program. So we've we funded about 33 organizations, and Glenda has 10 community educators about climate-smart agriculture, specifically targeting those small historically underserved farmers. So we're we're trying to do our best out there. Oh, you're doing a wonderful job there. Well, tell us uh, what's going on with um, food safety and food security in light of all of our all of our our crises going on the pandemic yes. um, yep. the COVID-19 pandemic the wildfires mm-hmm. uh, everything else that's going on and I know you touched on that in um, the panel that you participated in this mm-hmm. morning but tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about um, how you're dealing with this unprecedented crisis yeah so going back to March um, first of all just the suddenness of the disruption and just business as usual, you know, having to shut down the economy for quarantine, isolation, while there were still so many uncertainties. Um, It was disruptive for the farm community. Literally, the economic impact reports estimate we may have lost as much as $8 billion. Few people recognize that in today's world, slightly more than 50% of our food dollars are spent for food that's consumed out of the home. That's the food yeah. service sector, whether it's serving yeah. you know, cafeterias or restaurants, has become such a huge part. And, and so all of a sudden, you've lost the equivalent of 50% of your market. The disruption of that coming at a time where you're taking product out of the field, and then all of a sudden, you've got it packaged for food service, and that's gone. Um, that kind of suddenness is what really caused some hiccups in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We were lucky mm-hmm. to have the Farm to Family program that we partner with the State Association of Food Banks. So we had a program to try to capture as much of that produce as possible to get it into food boxes for families because at the same time, sudden unemployment, 73% increase in demand at our food banks. That's a pretty wrenching disruption let yeah, alone yeah. some of the hiccups we saw at the grocery store. Very seldom did you see prolonged, empty produce section. You know, they had to continually refill it, but they did that. We saw the, what happened with the meat shelves because of what happened with our meat processing in the Midwest, where there was prolonged days of not having the, the cuts of meat you wanted or it being rationed. None of that, though, was like, what was this toilet paper in? I still don't get how long the shelves were empty of toilet paper until I found out 
that the component for water holding capacity and toilet paper is manufactured in China. But, you know, food is really, we kept producing. Farmers are critical infrastructure. Farm workers are essential workers. People went to work every day when the rest of us were at home. At the Department of Food and Agriculture, we had the same immediate issues as our farm community is, and that is, what do we need to do to keep our employees safe? We need to go out and continue the inspections to make sure the food supply keeps moving. We need to do the work that is essential to the food safety elements of our food supply. And the scramble for personal protective equipment was horrendous because that's what our healthcare workers and first responders also needed. So the department, working through our Office of Emergency Services, was able to secure supplies when they weren't available in the marketplace. Um, as of today, we've distributed over 13 million pieces of personal protective equipment, whether that wow. was disposable masks, cloth masks, uh, over 52,000 units of hand sanitizer, um, 325,000 pairs of gloves, disposable gloves. And just in time, we were able to, we had, were able to secure small numbers of N95 respirators because that's mandatory if you're applying pesticides, and then we were trying to secure a bigger supply for wildfires. We got them just in time. We were able to distribute over 3 million N95 respirators when we've been having this horrendous smoke issue with wildfires. So we've had great partners. We've worked with our ag commissioners. I just can't say enough about our ag commissioners as partners. We've reached out and created new partnerships with community-based organizations to make sure that we were getting to every corner of the communities where farm workers were working and where they were living to try to protect our, our, our essential workers to the extent we possibly can. And Governor, uh, three weeks ago, announced a new program. It's called Housing for the Harvest, so that if a farm worker tests positive, or has been exposed and has a health directive to isolate, and they're not able to in their housing situation, we provide hotel rooms for the two-week period that's necessary for isolation, uh, three meals a day, um, health and wellness checks, and other wraparound services that they might need to make sure that they feel that they can safely isolate, protect themselves, their family, and their community. Yeah, that's, a, that's just an incredible laundry list of what the state has done to help both the farmers and the farm workers uh, make sure that, you know, the food aisles weren't empty like the toilet paper aisles yeah. were empty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. And, and so that, I mean, it's just like, it's just like, what's the quirkiness of that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I am also happy to tell you, Inge, that California Grown, which is a promotional um, agreement with a number of our commodity groups, is sponsoring the first ever um, October will be California Farmer and Farmworker Month, where we can really, you know, celebrate the harvest, celebrate what we've accomplished this year, and really honor and respect the hard work of our farmers and farm workers to keep us well-fed and well-nourished. And might I also say to enjoy with an adult beverage like your favorite wine or glass of California milk. <laughs> yeah, sure. There, there you go. Um, yeah, Rob, Rob, have you tried any milk lately? I think he's probably more into the wine and the beer. <laughs> Try something different next time you're out to eat. Uh, a glass of California milk. 
Well, uh, that's very impressive. I'm very thankful that we live in the great state of California that can help do this not only for our own people, but for the rest of the country. I mean, our food goes all over the country and actually goes all over the world. Around the world. Yeah. That's, a, that's another topic. Some people would say, yeah, well, yeah. why aren't we just feeding ourselves instead of the rest of the world? But, uh, well, maybe that's part of the, um, that's a good segue into the California uh-huh. Ag Vision document mm-hmm. that um, you folks produced in 2017. Yeah. Uh, I guess the state board, uh, um, you know, yes, uh, John Cameron is now president. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, t- tell us how that has in, uh, influenced what you're doing at CDFA. It's kind of a, uh, a companion group or a parallel group, uh, correct? Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, and one of the things we did in 2017, you know, it's a great framework about what do we want our future to be and then what is it we need to do now to help achieve that. And a lot of it was a, uh, was around, you know, how, how do we meet that triple bottom line of improving the health and quality of life for people, um, our communities, um, and prosperity for our farmers um, because of the kinds of products that we grow and, and sell, whether it's locally at a farmer's market or direct to consumer, or that we're part of the very important global marketplace for the products that we do so well from here. And in 2017, we really wanted to say, are these still the right, the right frames of what it is that we want to accomplish? We've made mm-hmm. some significant progress. From, from our farm to fork program as well as um, an environmental farming program. Um, but we really felt like we needed to define our purpose in a way that we were all committed to that purpose. And our purpose is to make California a better place to live because of what we grow, that vast bounty and diversity of crops and how we grow it, which really calls out the high standards to which we grow, whether it's in our environmental standards or our labor standards, um, we, I think, really epitomize the values of, of Californians. And we did that, um, you know, we stated what our values are, and we recommitted to our working together to achieve um, a really long-term sustainability of California agriculture and the opportunities for new and young people to see career pathways and exciting careers in California agriculture, and that's an area that I'm really interested in spending more time in over this next year or so. Yeah, we've got to get we've got to get the younger folks into agriculture. Yep. What is it? The average age of farmers, I think, in the country is in the 60s. Um, yep. I don't know what it is in California. Maybe a yeah, little. Ours is a little over 58 years old, but we're creeping into that that, that next decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know when you get kind of the the technology involved, it, that mm-hmm. helps. Um, attract right. some of the brighter minds too. Um, some people think agriculture is just digging in the dirt, but actually it's a yeah. very enriching and wonderful um, endeavor and career. And there is just nothing cooler than seeing a plant uh, pop out yeah. of some <laughs> soil. Yeah, it is a miracle. It's so rewarding. It it's so rewarding. It rewarding. Yeah. And you're right. So that's your vision like, document. Mm-hmm. What, go yep. ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say. The work that you do, you know, you bring it together science and it's actually the art of growing and, and doing it with the best state-of-the-art technology. And that's where I think we have an opportunity to get people excited about, hey, being an ag is cool and sexy. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we, we, we have to make it 
cooler and sexy to attract the kids, but uh, I'm <laughs> yep. sure that we can do it. It, it is pretty, yep. pretty cool and pretty sexy. <laughs> well, another big thing that you've been working on lately um, that I've been reading about is the water resilience portfolio. Yes. And mm-hmm. you have a couple of uh, really talented colleagues that you worked with on that, um, Mr. Wade yeah. Kerfoot, our uh, California Natural Resources uh, Secretary, and then also uh, Jared Blumenfeld, who uh, yeah. um, moderated one of the panels that I viewed today, uh, the California Environmental Protection Agency Secretary. Well, it, as you mentioned, you know, we have um, about 25 million acres of farms and ranches in the state, and about a third of it is irrigated. So, you know, we know that water is really important. Yeah. So what is this um, water resilience portfolio yeah. going to help? How is it going to help us, you know, meet that challenge? Because we yeah. have so many competing p- competing uh, entities, uh, yep. ag, urban environment for our limited resources. Yep. So we just All have a few minutes left and tell, walk yeah. us through that one. Okay. <laughs> so the water resiliency portfolio is a big document. And Really, one of the things I like about it is that, for once, we pull together all the places where there is water work that is happening and data about what is happening and investments that are happening and pulled it in together to one document. So it's a, it's a great compilation, the first time in my history, where we pull that all together across all of our agencies and really um, also did an evaluation of long-term sustainability on a region-by-region basis to really show where we're on the right path and what makes us so vulnerable. Everything from safe, affordable drinking water um, to the environmental health of the Salton Sea and the Klamath Water Basin. Um, and in between, we really laid out where we're prioritizing smart storage um, with an emphasis on groundwater recharge and the opportunities for groundwater recharge and doing it safely without exacerbating any potential um, issues with you know nitrates in the in the drinking water, but also really putting a focus on how we can work more collaboratively um, with landowners, farmers, NGOs uh, to achieve environmental benefits. And the governor is all in on voluntary agreements where we can we can consider the flows in our streams, the health of our ecosystem and continued economic viability of farming community by bringing all those parties together to come to some agreement. Thinking about our floodplains, and, you know, it's easy because we've had so many droughts to forget how susceptible many of our communities are to floods and how by being smarter with floodplains, um, we can also bring some ecosystem health benefits and some groundwater charging benefits there. Um, really looking at how do we substantially expand water recycling. Um, a lot of work happening in that. And, of course, in Southern California, Orange County in particular, is a real leader on recycling water to tertiary standards so that we can use it for drinking water, too. Um, we have to modernize our delta and the conveyance system of that big gargantuan project. Um, yeah. And so it's it's really it's taking all of those things and all of us working together to lay out priorities um, in a time where we have scarce investment dollars put into it. But on an annual basis, the vast majority of investments in our water infrastructure are happening by the, because of the leadership of our local water districts. And can we all collaborate closer together 
around these priorities to make sure that we're putting in the kinds of investments today that will serve us 10 and 20 years into the future. So it's a big collaborative project. I do have great partners. Um, we're, we're, you know, repurposing dollars from bonds where we have that discretion to be able to align with this um, and really continue to have great quality of life, um, restore our ecosystem, including our forest watersheds, um, and still have a really strong, robust economy in California that includes food security and what's happening on our farming landscape. Wow. Well, Secretary Ross, you have done a fantastic job of leading this organization and helping us in this great state continue to enjoy the fruits of your labor and uh, have our agriculture remain strong. I know there's some huge challenges, but I know that we're up. I know that we're up to it if we all work together. Anything else you'd like to add? I think we are at the top of the hour, and I yep. hear uh, transition music coming on. I'll ah. just say thank you, thank you very much, and okay. just thank you'd like to say briefly. Now, I just want to say it's so important for government to have private sector partners, and I view you as one of those important ones, and your colleagues who have this kind of technical expertise to make sure that. You know, it's, we would be harming ourselves if we said Sacramento in our bubble and said we've got all the answers. It will only work because of our important private sector partners, and I really appreciate the opportunity to work with you, Andy. Oh, like, likewise. Uh, thank you for being open and accessible and up the good work. Thank you. All right. Job.